Hello and welcome to Satorial Stories, LCF's object-based podcast in which I, Susanna Cordner, invite in a guest who works in or with fashion and ask them to bring in an item from their work or from the wardrobe and that object then forms the basis of a part of our conversation. For today's episode, my guest is Rachel Wilson, founder of the Grief Network. Rachel and I recorded this episode before lockdown began when the world was looking very different. I therefore wanted to warn you that we do discuss bereavement and loss in particular in connection to our clothes within this interview. I hope you enjoy it and that Rachel's perspective provides comfort for anyone who needs it right now. Thank you. The conversation today will have three sections. First, introducing an innovative network that I'm hoping some of our listeners can benefit from. The next, focused on our interviewee's object and then on her own personal perspective on style and clothes. So I'm joined today by Rachel Wilson, founder of The Grief Network. Hi Rachel, thank Hi. you for joining me. Um, and I feel it's worth confessing we're meeting on a Wednesday evening, so you've been very humble <laughs> <laughs> giving me your time. So as I said there, in this series, I normally invite in someone who works in or with fashion, and there's quite an explicit relationship before we begin to that subject. Uh, with you, I think we've come at it from a different kind of social yeah. surroundings. <laughs> so it'd be interesting if you could explain how we've built beyond that brief and maybe introduce your work to us, please. So I actually work um, in trends intelligence. So I do have a, a slight link um, to fashion, but we don't look so much at, um, at the company I'm at. We don't look as much at fashion. We look more at like cultural trends mm. over the next 10 years, and we do macro trends. Um, that look really future facing and then my background is all in sort of branding and copywriting and things like that um, so that's sort of what I currently work on and I do the reports um, on the client side of those of that business so I write sort of future facing reports on the future of things like mm. romantic travel um, <laughs> or um, we did the future of well hospitality and travel and purposeful travel and things like that so those are, and we're doing ones on banking now and all that kind of thing. So interesting. So it's really socially driven. Yeah. Um, maybe not product specific, more no. about kind of cultural patterns or behaviours. Yeah. That's so interesting. And we'll end up relating to the different <laughs> aspects of your profession. Yeah. So what you described there is effectively your day job. Yeah. As I said, we're meeting in the evening um, <laughs> to make life brilliant but difficult for yourself. Yes. You've got a huge sideline project. Could you introduce yeah. that please? Yeah, so the Grief Network is a community for bereaved young people. Well, I founded it about two years ago and it was founded almost at the same time as my mum died and she died when I was 26. She died literally the day after my birthday, which is not the ideal time um but at the time I didn't know of any I didn't know anyone else my age who'd been through it and I just really wanted to find a support group that was just for young people um because I just knew I'd have a lot more in common with them than someone who was a bit older uh and my dad had even said that to me before I mean he'd said you know my parents died when I was in my 50s, so I have no idea what it's going to be like for you. So I wrote into a podcast called The Hilo, um, and they read out my letter, and I got about 200 responses from people saying, yeah. like, no, there's not really anything out there, but this has happened to me, and I'd really like to meet you if, if you want to. Um, so I met people one-on-one, and then I thought this would be so useful, and I can't meet all 200 people on my mm-hmm. own. Um, so I ran the first group meetup, and that was in July 2018. So it was literally three months after my mum had died. Wow. Um, so it was quite a whirlwind um, thing. And I think just from there, I guess a lot of people have said, "Why did you, you know, 
you might not even have made it to the first meetup, let alone then be like, this is something I'm mm. going to take forward. But I think because of my background um, and my work uh, previously, I kind of knew I could just sort of see it. And I thought this is needed. I can see there's a demand for it. Like, and it just, it was, I just felt so angry that it hadn't existed before yeah. as well. Um, so it, it, you know, and then it became a regular thing and a few regular people came and we kind of formed a team and then we launched our first um, sort of official event last year in October. Um, so now we run meetups monthly um, across London and then we do, we aim to do an event monthly. We don't always meet that, but um, we do events as well and they're much larger capacity and we usually have like more high profile speakers to come and talk. Um, so, but we also did one like we did a Christmas party called Shitmas Party. So it's just we just always try to think like what's what's meaningful, what's helpful, what will this you know community? I think it's I think mainly people really want to be recognised and acknowledged and heard. Mm. And I think if we can say like, hey, we know how it feels, um, and we're here trying to to always kind of give people that recognition I think that's what gets us such a huge response and it's really amazing like every time we have someone new come or we get an email from someone saying like oh that was such a great thing for me to see or do um so it's yeah it's really um it's quite like a special atmosphere every time we do a meetup or an event because you're just suddenly in a room full of people who you know are just going to get it, mm. and that's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Almost no explanations needed. No, yeah. <laughs> I think that you said a lot of really interesting things there about the kind of, there was almost a sense of playfulness to this most extreme of subjects and circumstances, and the idea of, yeah, things like the pun of shipment. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, in itself, it just acknowledges that your audience group or your community are going to have complicated feelings yeah. about what's normally pitched as a particular. Yeah. Um, product or place at time of year um, so I think that's something that's really interesting perhaps again you already described how your work influenced starting this because you anticipated and acted on a gap, mm. effectively a gap in the market yeah. or a gap in services but then you built on that further I'd say yeah. making it more reflective of your community Yeah, it's a difficult question to ask because I suspect you're trying to be modest but how much <laughs> have you kind of created that um, yeah, that sounds like that's a very individually driven thing that you did at probably the most difficult time of your life, yeah. and um, that takes great courage and strength and activity um, to then build it further and to think about branding and perspective yeah. of those participants. Is that has that come from you, or did you consult at all? I think we, I think possibly because of the listenership of the Hilo, or um, I don't know what it was, but a lot of the people that came to that first meetup and became quite early. Um, regulars were all in sort of media and PR and creative industries and it was really important to me I think I think one of the really distinct things I felt was also I would go on to I used to quite obsessively google grief when my mum was ill so she had cancer and I would just sort of be like what is it going to be like Mm. and so I'd google it a lot and obviously you come across a lot of like bereavement websites that have a certain look and a certain feel and they're written for a really general population and they're also probably aimed at a slightly older audience because that's who you assume is going to be bereaved at some point 
and it was a really dissonant ex- experience because if you're a millennial or a Gen Z, or I was talking demographics yeah, now because sure. of my work, but yeah. um, you're used to seeing things on Instagram and you know Snapchat or, or TikTok or whatever it is now, but you're used to a certain aesthetic, you're used to brands speaking to you in a certain way. So if you think of any sort of young brand like... I'd, I always used to think about like Uber or Treatwell or things like Monkey or whatever it is. You're used to a certain color palette and you're used to a certain tone of voice. And then you go on to, you know, a big bereavement charity website. Yes. And it's like, we will help you through this loss. Yes. And it's it's scary. And stuck <laughs> images of people yeah, and handing to the back. Exactly. And, yeah, and it's really scary. And you think, is that what my life looks like now is that and you know grief or if you're bereaved at a young age you're already getting this perspective that your peers don't have so you feel really aged in a way that a lot of people your own age don't feel um and then it's enhanced by this idea that the only things available to support you are things that look that certain way or are going to be in you know like town halls or whatever that Mm. kind of um image around death is and it's just not very accessible if your life is usually like going to the pub with your mates yeah. and you're, you book your Uber home and you like order your thing on ASOS or whatever. Then you're like, where does grief fit into my life? Like, there's nothing else reflecting back. Mm. So I want people to be able to like land on the grief network, Instagram and the website and stuff and feel like this looks and feels like something that I'm already used to yeah. um, and can also be like you know we're not trying to be like down with the kids yeah. like because we are the kids and we, <laughs> yeah. we know what it feels like so um, and obviously as I said my background's all in writing and copywriting so tonally um, everything we put on Instagram and stuff like that is kind of tries to strike that balance of being like hey like we know this is shit mm-hmm. but like we can also give it like we don't have to be too morbid on Instagram. That's yeah. not what people are yeah. <laughs> on Instagram for. Um, but yeah, I also have like an amazing, I, I've just realized, I didn't say, but we, yeah, we've got two really amazing graphic designers that work with us and it was a process of, and they're in, in the club, mm-hmm. um, and it was a process of chatting to them and saying like, oh, what, you know, we want it, I want it to look this certain way. And they came up with this, um, Brattle Katie is the main one who came up with the branding originally. And I have to say, yeah, everyone always... Is, like loves it and thinks yeah. it looks really cool so I'm, I'm so pleased that that's, <laughs> that's yeah. the case and yeah definitely it really resonates and I really like what you said because I think a lot of things um, stumbling across that presented in the wrong way could either be alienating or it could yeah. be distressing exactly. and I think your presentation is really clever because yeah you are I think in your surrounding materials you're always very clear that the team behind it are part of the club yeah, and yeah. that probably um, helps Kind of welcome or accommodate your audience and um, also I was really interested in that idea that your branding communicates your message and your and yeah. who you're maybe interested in aligning with but also maybe brings them comfort because it's yeah. not you know a whole new um, yeah it's not like a jolting exactly experience. it's not a shock to the system yeah. when you've already had shots enough thank you yes <laughs> I think that's really fascinating and kind of unexpected from before meeting you just how much ends up aligning with yeah. your um, professional perspective and experience and those um, and that being the same with your colleagues who've brought this board together um, this is a personal question so yeah. you don't have to answer it but I would be interested to know how much comfort this project has in effect brought you or having yeah. that kind of purpose within it yeah it's quite it's it, ch- it changes a lot mm-hmm. because I'm obviously still so that my 
like mum's the anniversary is next month so that's this April so um and that's two years and so there's part of me that I think even for the first year for example people would say you know that's really brave or it's courageous or whatever and I just thought well no it's needed Mm. and I needed it and I needed that that support and looking back on it I just think that the fact that I was meeting people a month after my mum died and then, you know, three months, that's when all the group stuff started happening. Um, that was quite kind of amazing for me and it meant that I, f- I felt almost, like, really supported because there were so many people and there were so many different stories and, you know, we could just sit there and talk for hours. Like, I found most people, when I went and met them, I could just talk for a couple of hours mm-hmm. to them and we wouldn't even sometimes talk about what we did for a living or anything like that mm. we just talked about you know grief and death and it sounds like it could be really heavy but it was actually just very affirming and I just knew that that was so powerful and then I think from there it's it's definitely like it really depends because I remember doing the first event and after the first event I I had this moment because we had um we had Carrie Lloyd from Griefcast mm. and we had Felix White who used to be in the Maccabees and now does Tailenders and we had Teresa Lola who's like an incredible poet she's the young person's laureate for London I think it's the correct title <laughs> um, and they were all variously sort of I think Teresa was like seven years down the line and Felix and Carrie were way more like 17 mm. years down the line and I remember having this moment being like it's not even been 18 months and I'm sat on this panel and there's like 150 people in this room. And I had to take the day off work the next day and I felt really, and everyone was like, congratulations. And I was like, I feel really awful. Like yeah. I feel emotionally really spent. Um, and it took me a couple of days to even feel proud of the fact mm. that we'd done that um, because I was just so stressed out about it. So sometimes I've been a bit like, oh God, like I don't know if I really want to do this. And mm. because it didn't, I think a lot of other people in this space have, you know, sat with their grief for maybe like two or three years or five years or whatever and then they come to a decision where they're like actually I'd really like to do something whereas for me it was just like straight away mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so sometimes I've been like I don't know if this is a choice like yeah. it's obviously it's sort of a choice but I don't know how like I didn't I didn't have a chance I knew if I wanted to like make it something I couldn't really sit back and have time off from it necessarily I mean I did have a little bit of time like that first year we didn't do them monthly that first year it was like every few months when I remember to call the pub yeah, <laughs> so, sure. um, so they only started being like more regular when I actually had a little team um, behind me um, but yeah I, 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 I can't imagine um, what it would have been like had, had it not happened and had that network not been there and because we still get people now coming and they'll, they'll come and it'll be their first meetup and they'll be like, our dad died. I remember there was a, two siblings that came and they were like, our dad died five years ago and we've never met even anyone else. Mm-hmm. And they were quite, they were both still quite young. And yeah, they were like, we've never really met anyone else that's been through it and we're just really shocked that this even exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think sometimes stories like that when I've, when I've been a bit like oh I don't know what I'm doing and then I go to a meetup and someone will say something like that and I'm like yes we need this exactly. we need this and yeah. I have to keep going and we all have to keep going so continues yeah. to validate it and allow it to grow and, yeah. and also I don't know but I can imagine hearing those different perspectives and people with very different experiences at very different points perhaps 
in one hand that is exhausting yeah. to mean that this isn't um, a experience that comes to a close necessarily yeah. um, but also hopefully it gives you faith of the way that things progress or mm. alter and the fact that that support will yeah. continue because you've helped create it yeah um, which I think is really really impressive so I think we're going to move on to talking about your object in yeah. a moment, but before we spoke, uh, before we speak about it, this is the part where fashion and clothing yeah. comes back in more explicitly. Um, when I'd be interested to know when I approached you for this, had you thought about uh, grief and clothing or grief and fashion before? Or I thought, I guess I have worn like I've got my mum's necklace, which I was thinking of being my object, mm. but I didn't think there was quite as much of a story around it. Um, but definitely um, so if this necklace is kind of a I don't really know how to describe it it's kind of this 80s um, square not, it's, it's not really a chain, chain. Yeah, yeah it's a chain um, but it was I remember the, the reason this is really special is because because it's square I remember literally the texture like the, the feeling of it between my fingertips when I was a really young mm. child I would play with it when, it when she was wearing it and so I remember the ridges literally on my fingertips mm. so that was really I wanted to wear that as soon as um as soon as she passed away um but yeah I did think about it because she was uh she was shorter than me <laughs> and she was smaller than me so I can't actually wear a lot of her clothes um and there you know she had a really nice jacket that she was so new and she was also really didn't like wasting things so mm. I knew I, like if we could reuse anything that she had she really wanted us to be able to do that um but clothing is a big um, thing and I yeah I, I read a lot about how people will wear sort of what they the person that's passed away they'll wear what they their clothing to mm. sort of keep them close um, but yeah I guess it obviously really feeds into it in that in that way yeah and we'll, we'll be speaking more about the connection to your mother and that kind of physicality or tactile nature yeah. that you just described in association with her her garments and her jewelry um, I'm also really interested in that idea of people being remembered by their clothes, which we'll talk yeah. more about. Um, we're also meeting ahead of our first um, collaborative event, so we're going to be running a Bring Your Own Object um, event together with the Grief Network. And at any of your meetups so far, has anyone spoken, you know, for instance, yeah. has anyone come in something that's there to give them comfort or to help yeah. them mend up the story? God, I can't think of anything yeah. off the top of People my head. might do it um, kind of subtly, because yeah. for instance, yeah, there's things that I wear that have that kind of thing attached, or for you, mate, I'm... Um, I'm assuming that you don't <laughs> open every conversation by saying yeah. where that necklace is from. That's like a, a part of your person, yeah. rather than a declaration. So maybe, yeah. maybe more uh, secretly around the room. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do find that people. I'm thinking of. Um, yeah, I know people that have have got subtle like jewelry or particularly boys as well. They often have like a sort of a ring or like you know some of their mother's jewelry made into something or something like that. Mm. Um, so yeah, I find. It tends to be, I mean, at least on my on a personal level, I sometimes forget I'm even wearing this necklace. Yeah. But it's nice that it's sort of always there. Yeah. Oh, again, that's great yeah. because then it becomes a part of your person rather than yeah. an accessory and external. Exactly. And perhaps on that note, it's time to introduce yeah. your object, please. <laughs> I was thinking that my mum would be slightly disappointed about how creased it is. <laughs> really? <laughs> she was so like clean and so tidy and she used to I'm not very well I'm clean but not tidy. <laughs> so this is the object. Yeah. It's my mum's shirt. So this is I think she would have got this 
So it's a, it's a pure silk shirt and it's cream coloured and it's by a designer called Paul Costello. Um, and it's a sort of really classic, like oversized, cre- like women's cream shirt, I mm. guess. Um, With these great pearlescent buttons. Yeah, yeah. And some sort of embroidery yeah, on the little horse, little horse on the pocket. Yeah. Um, and I know my my mum wasn't really wouldn't I don't think I ever saw my mum wearing this. Mm. Um, and I she wouldn't she's got a story about that I I can never see it but she said she got curry down the front of it on a date with my dad <laughs> and <laughs> she knew great. it was there so she didn't want to wear it but oh. um, yeah so it's a little bit stained but it's not in the best. But that's amazing. Hair, so it co- yeah. incorporates a story about the two of them together yeah, as well. Exactly. Um, so when did your connection to this object, this garment, begin? So I um, actually, I think I would have started... So my, I don't think I ever saw my mum wear it when she was alive or in my childhood or anything like that because I don't think it was her style by that point. So it's, I think she got it in the 70s or 80s, or probably late 70s, early 80s, um, back when that sort of oversized style was, you know, very chic or whatever. Mm. Um, and I, I found it, I must have found it when... I was in school and it was probably about 2008, so I was like 15, um, and it was kind of peak indie. <laughs> really cool to wear vintage clothes, but like in a different way than it is now, I feel like. I feel like now it's a bit of a sustainability thing or something, but I think that whole look, because we had like Amy Winehouse and we had Duffy and we had, even Adele was so inspired by like vintage uh, music, and so that was really kind of having this moment of and I remember at school it was the most it was the coolest thing if you could be like thanks it's vintage <laughs> um, and all the cool girls would wear like big oversized shirts and they'd be like it's my dad's yeah. and stuff like that so um, I think I was digging around for I think I was like mum have you got any vintage stuff <laughs> and um, she she had actually a huge collection of like those you know those elastic belts with the big like buckle in the middle oh, that yeah. they were very cool for a moment at that same time as well, um, well. and she had a sort of uh, camel skin hold all, but she also had this shirt and she had a couple of other white shirts that actually wore, were from Marks and Spencer's but the reason I picked this one out was because A, it was like a designer mm, <laughs> so yeah. I, we'd never had designer clothes in our house mm. before um, and also I could wear it to school so I could wear it as my school shirt it was not particularly regulation mm. um, but it was just on the edge of what they could tell me not to wear mm. um, and I liked that kind of big um, I liked that over I, my, my go-to would be like an oversized shirt with like one of those tiny little tube skirts that were big in 2008 uh, and some tights and some plimsolls and we were supposed to wear suits so oh, you can wow. tell how yes. off regulation <laughs> I was being by doing that it's quite impressive um, so but I liked somebody. that big like baggy um style it was really comfy basically yeah so it was a thrill when you found it and it's kind of reappropriating a past style to a uh, contemporary fashion or trend and you're associating it with music and subcultures around that Uh, were you excited to find this in your mum's wardrobe did you associate with her or was was it a surprise I think oh I was surprised that she had it because she well and this would be why she would have kept it because she didn't she was not you know, she didn't come from a really well-off family and she was really thrifty and she never really bought anything really... Um, I think she had, like, three shops that she'd go to and any time uh, she was wearing something, 
if it was new, she'd go, well, guess how much do you think this cost? And you'd go, I don't know, mum, what, 50 quid? And she'd be like, it was 80 pounds, but it was down to 20. <laughs> you know, that was like Satisfying. the story of the exactly. bargain, yeah. was like as good as the clothes themselves. Yeah. Um, so she didn't really, and you know, there was always a limit that was like 70 pounds is too much to spend on a dress or, you know, a hundred pounds too much for a coat or whatever. So there was always this, this idea that, you know, you, you shouldn't spend more than like X on a piece of clothing. Um, but yeah, so this, the idea that this was, and she would, she told me that basically, and she was a nurse, so she didn't earn a huge amount, but she... I think would have been about the age I am now so like in her late 20s when she bought this and she had to save she told me she would have to save over a couple of months and I thought that was so nice the idea that she had her eye on this shirt and she really wanted it um, and I know it was around the time that she'd met my dad as well so they were kind of dating and yeah the idea that and because she because she was a nurse she was um, she'd been working since she was about 17 so by my age she was actually a sister in A&E mm. and she was kind of like quite high up in her profession or yeah. far along in her career so I think particularly now that I'm a similar age as well I think it's such a nice idea that she kind of went and treated herself to this um, but I think it was one of, the, but it was also probably within some of the stories she told about not getting expensive stuff because she goes, you just don't wear them or you ruin them and then you don't, and then you're really angry at yourself. Um, so yeah, it's a kind of, I like, I like the idea that she was quite young when she bought this and, you know, pre having kids and pre even getting married and she was still that sort of just independent sort of single woman, yeah. I guess maybe now is one of the reasons probably wouldn't have thought that at 15. I thought it was sure. like, it's a cool shirt and I want it. Yeah. Um, but now it's very much like, it makes me think, oh, that's, you know, a, a mum that I didn't, you know, I didn't know her then because she wasn't a mum. She was just Colleen. So, yeah, you know. absolutely. That can be so exciting and kind of illuminating when you find unexpected parts of yeah. people's wardrobes. Like, yeah. I went to see an exhibition recently where it was a collection of um, a particular woman's clothes, but alongside the ones that she wore, and there were photographs and kind of illustrations of her in them, there were items that she would have never fitted yeah. that she bought at the same time. And she obviously bought them as some kind of aspiration or for the yeah. sheer beauty of them. And I kind of thought that was really fascinating to think about uh, what we buy, what we keep, and what they say about our kind of desires yeah. and things around. And I love the idea with, that with this, it's partly about the idea of your mum maybe mapping her success or yeah. her independence and being something that she worked and saved towards but also that yeah that personal connection that it brings you to a mum before she was a mum yeah you've just marked there about the fact that it's her something that belonged to her before she was married and became yeah. a mother does her style change does this yeah. not look like the kind of thing you saw her wearing no yeah I guess this was another thing is I didn't really I think probably when I first saw it I was like mum I didn't know you had such cool clothes <laughs> like um but it, it definitely developed I mean she was never really like fashionable but she definitely was always she she was sort of of that mindset of dressing for your figure and and she always was very you know I think she always looked quite elegant and quite classy mm. um so she definitely wanted to look really well put together but there wasn't really much I suppose with my mum was that I don't think it was a huge clothes weren't really a massive medium to express yourself I think it was just about looking kind of um basically presentable I think yeah. and um yeah so but but definitely when um more towards you know recent years 
um, or her like last years or whatever, she would wear quite fitted clothes. So she'd always wear quite fitted shirts and jeans um, and little like ankle boots sometimes and stuff like that. So she, the fact that this is oversized is, I think, she would never have worn um, something like that um, in her like later years. Um, and I'm not sure. I mean, I. And the only other thing I can really, really distinctly remember actually is a fashion moment, which was very 90s, mm-hmm. where she had this sort of like denim dress that she'd come and pick us up in. <laughs> yeah. And it was sort of one of those ones that now I'm like, oh, I wish that was still around mm. somewhere. It's sort of a midi length button through denim dress. Yeah. yeah. Um, with a tie at the back. Yeah. So <laughs> she kind of definitely changed. But I think definitely when she was younger, also there's pictures, she was quite a 70s girl at some point in time mm. as well. She's got. Yeah, I think when she was younger, she probably was dressed in... Because in, there's also a picture of her when she was 16, um, and she's literally sitting, she's very, very cool and nonchalant. She's mm. sitting on the hood of, like, whoever's car... I mean, it's not a cool car, it's like some kind <laughs> of suburban... Cool. But yeah. she's making it cool. And the little terrier is down, down uh, by the wheel, but she's got her legs kind of crossed over the bonnet, and she was wearing a little shift dress and these big white... Um, platform sandals so it's very like 60s moment and then there's pictures of her around the time when she met my dad where she had that sort of 70s page boy like mm. um, cut uh, so yeah she she. I mean I think maybe I've done her a disservice maybe she was more fashionable than yeah, I remember absolutely. but that sounds yeah. like quite a lot of different kind of style eras and associations yeah. for her to have so yeah. maybe, maybe it's more she adjusted yeah. to different periods well and I think she did say to me that she um the period where me and my brother were probably, you know, from when we were born up until probably when I was a teenager, she just had that quite standard thing, I think, of just being like, I don't care what I look like, I've got young children, blah, blah, blah. And I remember, I think, when I was 13, I saw a picture of me and my brother when I was really young with her, and she had, you know, this gorgeous hair, and I was like, Mum, what's that What's that hair? Why is your hair a different colour? And she was like, it's highlights. And I was like, oh, my God, could I have highlights? And she was like, yeah, I suppose you could. And so she took me down for highlights, and then when I started getting my hair and, and stuff done, she kind of re-entered that world as well. Oh, that's fascinating. Which is really nice. So you kind of reintroduced her to that interest, yeah. and perhaps through you she saw it as um, a playful space again. Yeah, exactly. And a practical purpose. Yeah. So within that, you've yeah you've described that kind of maybe changing or varied relationship your mum had with clothes, but... You know, this piece was one of a few you described, like the camel bag and the set yeah. of um, stretchy belts that you looked through when you were looking for your vintage yeah. <laughs> Did she consciously keep those? Was she collecting her things? I think she, I think she kept anything that was really expensive, basically, right. to her. Yeah. So this shirt would have been, been expensive, and the two other things I can think of, again, that I wouldn't, I don't think I ever saw her wear. And my, to be fair, my dad does this too. And I've got, um, got the other thing I've got in my wardrobe is a suede um it's a reversible suede jacket from reese and it's got like a dagger collar um and yet on one side it's suede and one side it's leather and it's tan and it fits me which you can like that's basically how skinny my dad used to be he was a very skinny man um but so that was in and i have to say i must have found them in my wardrobe because the the house um I had two full-length wardrobes in my room, and one of them was just full of my parents' clothes in um, in those plastic clothes yeah, bags, and they were all things space. that they yeah they never yeah. wore anymore, but were really had been quite sort of expensive items. So she would have kept this because of that, and I'm sure the camel skin she would have kept as well. Um, and she had 
she's got, and I should dig it out actually because I reckon it'd be so nice now, but she had, um, I'm pretty sure it was a Ralph Lauren like mm. silk skirt and it was a midi skirt and it's got, and you know, back in that era of, I think I would have seen it back in that era of 2008 and been like, that's not the, the cool style. Mm. But now I think it's quite chic. It's a sort of, it's got like pheasants and things on it. It's a sort of brown and it's printed and it's this silk skirt and then she has a tartan sort of skirt suit that I think she bought from a department store as well so those are things that she kept and I think yeah she would have kept them because they, they were quite expensive and I'm sure they would have had emotional um, like memories attached to them like the curry stain is probably mm. as much as it stopped her wearing it, it's probably one of the things that yeah. made her keep it as well yeah I, lo- I love that note with that because to yeah. her this was a um, a memory filled but kind of tarnished item yeah. where she was pristine <laughs> enough to rework the school yeah, uniform exactly. and to see a different side to your mother yeah. and um, I, I really love the idea of the second wardrobe in yeah. the childhood bedroom um, <laughs> I was so angry at it all the time really, I kept being like move, like move your stuff out of my room <laughs> yeah. were you allowed to roam in it was there any dressing up or was it very much your parents kind of log and reserve I think I probably did go through it sometimes I'm sure I did I, dr- I, did, I would dress up quite a lot when I was a teenager I'd try and like you know try different styles on they also had a um, they both they had like matching 80s tracksuits um, and they had those like block colours and they were kind of and that was also cool at that so mm-hmm. I would um, I stole those as well so yeah there was probably a few times where I'd get some of that stuff out and see whether I could like use it somehow I definitely stole that tan jacket from my dad a few times before he noticed it was gone because I knew he'd be like no you can't have it and mm-hmm. I'd be like dad it's been sat there probably for 30 years yeah. <laughs> I think I can wear it yeah. like, <laughs> someone's got to get some use out of it I'll prove it's relevant yeah. to um, and then, and how how do you think your mum felt, or both your parents felt, about you reusing it? Because you spoke mm-hmm. about aspiring to vintage, yeah. and that makes me excited to you. Whereas perhaps with your parents, they're preserving them for their memories, but yeah. also because the cost. And yeah. how do you think they felt about that uh, kind of change in status? Yeah, or? I don't know. I guess I don't. I can't imagine my mum. I think my mum was fairly kind of open to me having and using those things because, as I said, she didn't like waste. So I think the idea that I was wearing them probably was quite, like, okay with her. Um, And, I mean, she probably would have been like, don't ruin it, but I think she was quite happy for me to wear those things. And, you know, maybe it would have been nice... I mean, she wouldn't... I don't remember her ever commenting on it, but maybe it would have been nice to see her daughter wearing some things that are connected to her youth um but dad was a lot more like no you can't you can't wear this jacket I still have it and he still asks me every like almost every time I see him like have you still got my jacket like <laughs> is it what conditions it in is it you know because he's just used to me like my my um my mum used to say I have a horizontal wardrobe <laughs> so he's quite he's quite used to the idea that I've probably ruined it somehow <laughs> it's fine it stays hung up it's yeah. alright <laughs> that's great because there's some repetitions or connections between the generations there but also some extreme disconnections yeah. <laughs> how they're expecting your relationship yeah. and treatment of those clothes to go which yeah. I really like um, when you were first introducing your object you spoke but there were some elements of kind of the physicality or comfort of it that included um, the way that it fits and the fact that this is an item that you can actually wear yeah, yeah. to your mum did that make it kind of an instant um, an instant choice as a comfort giver or, yeah. yeah yeah I think so I've got 
because I, as I said, I've got these two other white shirts that she used, but I think, uh, well, we used to have. Um, I the word used was in there, yeah. because, yeah, yeah, it's not worn or kind of style yeah. yeah it was um, practical to her. yeah exactly and um she but I think this shirt because it still it looks really nice on um as well I wore it in a um when I had my picture done recently I wore it um because I just thought it's so classic but yeah it was definitely I think came to mind as the first thing that I I did wear it a lot I think that summer after she died because it was really comforting to be in it and to and you know but it also it wasn't conspicuous it wasn't like oh I'm obviously wearing something really old and and vintage or I don't know it's it's it passes now as something that you probably could get in a shop nowadays apart from some of the stains yeah but yeah it's absolutely classic yeah so I think there was partially that that feeling of it being very classic and yet it it fits me because I'm I was a lot well, I am a lot taller than Mum was, so there was nothing that she had in her own wardrobe that I could really go to quickly. And I guess it's a crossover of, of our styles because even the things, even if I could fit into some of the things she'd worn in her later years, they're less aligned with my personal style. Where, mm. where this is um, something that just goes really nicely um, with a lot of stuff and, mm. and feels very true to. You know, my it's even the fact that it's this sort of off-white, creamy color rather than like a pure white. Mm. I wear a lot of those more like neutral colors and then black, basically. <laughs> so yeah. it fits in with um, with my own personal style. So yeah, it, it kind of I I think it quite quickly became something I was wearing quite often after she died. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, th- I think that's nice and striking to note that it ends up part of the connection ends up being in its relationship or the way that it fits with your own mm, personal style yeah. so it's not a leap um, to make yeah, yeah to enjoy the experience of wearing it yeah exactly. as well. and so within that you said something about it being inconspicuous and I mm. thought you were going to talk maybe about it in relation to your family I, 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 uh, that it was yeah. nice <laughs> yeah, yeah. so because you've been really really eloquent and honest about the connection or comfort that it offers yeah. you and in relation to your mum I wonder what it's like um, perhaps for friends or your family, do, do other people recognise your mum in this item? Do you think when you wear it, or is that for you and you alone that kind of coded association? God, I don't know. I think um, I'm not sure if my dad would notice. Yeah. I think he'd be. I, I don't think he has that many feelings about it, probably. Um, but with my friends no I don't think they would really know and let like but I would probably say mm-hmm. so when I've like you know in this picture I had taken in it on Instagram I put this you know I'm wearing my mum's shirt in this and actually was obviously still wearing the necklace so I was like shirt and, and necklace mm-hmm. of, of my mum's um so it's probably something that I'm quite um like proud of and mm-hmm. if it came up naturally that's what I would say I would say this was my mum's um and I, yeah, because I think I quite, and I like the story and that idea of her being the, like a young woman when she was wearing it. Um, so, yeah, but I don't know if anyone else has had any emotional reactions to it. But I guess it's really one of the only things that and and my necklace or her necklace, mm. um, both of our necklaces. Yeah, your shirt. Yeah, our <laughs> shirt necklace. Um, they're probably the things that I wear of hers. And I guess it's not always to me. It doesn't always feel like a really um like sometimes it's not 
the first thing I'm thinking about when I put it on because I used to wear it when I was younger. So sometimes it's just my shirt that mm. I used to wear and sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm wearing it because I want to be closer to mum. Yeah, absolutely. So it's got this duality really yeah. to its experience. And that was the kind of concluding question I wanted to ask you around your object choice was that fact that this is a memory holder and a comfort giver around mm. the connection to your mother, but you also spoke about aligning it with your personal style and within your kind of the story that you um, shared around it, it starts with that indie association yeah. <laughs> and that reaching for the kind of for the grunge or yeah. um, aspiring to the likes of Amy Winehouse yeah. and that look. So for you, it's it's the life of this object maybe threefold. It's first your mother and that yeah. earlier experience of her, and then your teen life and your life now. Yeah, I think so. Like I think, and I think it's so nice that there are those touch points in so many ways that it overlaps. Like the idea that. Obviously now it's got this this feeling of like, oh, well, she was kind of my age when she bought this, which I wouldn't have had when I was 15. Um, and I wouldn't really have thought about it that deeply when I was that age. But yeah, it's got... Because it definitely fell out of use for me, probably, probably when I left school. Um, I don't think I really remember wearing it between kind of like when I was at uni, so like 18 to up until when my mum died, so 25. And I mean, I moved around a lot. I I lived in, like, Melbourne and Berlin. So in terms of, like, bringing stuff with me, I always had a much um, more minimal wardrobe and I didn't... um, I wouldn't have necessarily thought this was something I wanted to bring to Australia or something like that. So it's nice that it's kind of... Yeah, it's a piece that's kind of woven in through both of our histories as well. Mm. It's got this nice overlap... Um, stage to it where I was wearing it when she was still alive even though she wasn't wearing it so it's kind of a nice you know it's really knitted in um, in a nice way that kind of brackets like both of our lives which is really nice yeah Yeah. I hope will resonate with a lot of people listening so perhaps from there we'll move a little bit onto your relationship with clothing and maybe some other memories um, around it you kind of spoke repeatedly about the idea of this almost being an anomaly of mm, your, uh, your yeah. <laughs> idea of your mum's style um, or the perhaps it being a gateway into understanding her as a younger yeah. woman um, are there any items you know you described the denim dress and yeah. things, are there any items that stand out as icons to you of what you would have thought be your mother's style but they don't in the, in the way you described they don't knit into your own personal style and experience that's interesting I think um I guess my really enduring memory is her in a sort of like white fitted shirt and a, and a pair of jeans and a pair of boots and I think that was kind of um, that's what I really remember um, and, and is the most sort of up to date image I have of her um, and then to be fair I remember her in a lot of um, her like, like lounge clothes like mm. stuff that she would wear in the summer and old like summer dresses that she'd wear out in the garden and things like that so there's you know there was a kind of um just a a midi dress that she had that had lots of like sunflowers I think on it or they were kind of like it was a big bold flower print Mm. um but she definitely had um she dressed a lot more sort of colorfully I mean she wasn't super bold colors but she dressed a lot more kind of colourfully and probably more like sort of feminine <laughs> than, than I dress and I suppose that feeds into my own like sense of style where you know I was again brought up not really to see clothing as something that you express yourself through and then if you're not someone who and I was incredibly introverted and if you're not someone who kind of like knows who you are as well I think 
definitely when I think back about apart from probably that little sort of indie phase <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, it to be yeah. a big expressionist after that uh, no I don't know I think that's just because by that point in time it was actually probably quite like mainstream it was mm-hmm. that or be like kind of preppy and I just knew I wasn't that so it was all like okay that's cool all right, I'll wear that. Uh, but I wasn't the most indie indie kid out there um and but it was the same actually to be fair it was the same just just before the indie phase I think I was sort of like verging on emo I'd listen to like some emo music but and I remember going to like give it a name with some friends which was this big emo yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and I remember thinking oh god I don't have anything to wear and everyone there and all my friends were dressed way cooler than me and so people would sometimes be like you're an emo and I'd be like well I'm not because I don't even have any black jeans (laughs) um So I think I always had quite a sort of, um, you know, almost timid approach to, to fashion and style. And I think because I wasn't particularly confident, if you ha- are really stylish or you have your own sense of style, I think you, you kind of either really know who you are or you're, or you're not that attached to the idea that it means much. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. playful and it's something that's like, well, I can wear this one day and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm that person. It's a fixed meeting, yeah. Mm, yeah. that's so interesting so for you it's quite codified um, yeah and, yeah and then maybe associate again there's a running thought when I was younger it was yeah. like what do I wear oh my god do you feel fraught now or no, is that relationship yeah, progressed it's definitely progressed and I think this is quite interesting because again as I said my mum was not she didn't spend a lot on mm. clothes and I think what's changed for me is becoming obviously like growing up and becoming more of my own person and also aging so having a tiny bit more not a lot but a tiny bit more disposable income and stuff and a bit more freedom around how I would style myself and because I travelled quite a lot um, I kind of ended up trying out a lot of different types of fashion or being in places where I felt so much more empowered to to dress ways that I felt like dressing because actually there, like I'm thinking about Melbourne was like so kind of secondhand clothes and like baggy jeans and all that kind of stuff that I here I would have thought um, I'm a bit too like I'm a bit cool if I'm doing that like I'm trying to be a bit cool and in Melbourne it was just like that's just what everyone wears so I kind of was able to to be more but I don't I think I would say I I have a much stronger sense of my own style but it's not something I'm not one of those people that's like I want to look different to everyone else I'm just like I just want to look like up to date (laughs) like you know and within um, something that feels like more comfortable for me but I think the tension there probably came from the fact that as they say I mean she wasn't really really girly girly feminine um but mum just dressed I guess like you just dressed to be a woman and be and kind of and, and look presentable and that was kind of it um and I'm definitely verging more on slightly more androgynous style and I feel more comfortable in like jeans and a t-shirt than a dress and um so it's it's kind of yeah, but I think now I feel a lot less... Um, I think when I was younger, it was like, if I wear this, this is I'm saying I'm this person, and am I that person? I don't know. Like, mm. And so it was this huge decision of like... but So if I dress... And it meant that it kind of locked me out of the ways I wanted to dress, um, and I didn't feel like I was able to like wear some of the stuff I thought was quite cool, because I mm. thought I wasn't cool enough to wear it, basically. Yeah, so dressing for definition, yeah. by association. Yeah. Um, which is fascinating and again maybe brings us to your object because it's that the unexpected associations or implications that you saw of your mother yeah, in it that yeah. um, excited you in it yeah oh. 
I think we could talk for hours. And perhaps we can kind of stick to some memory holders around yeah. clothes now. I'd be interested to know what's your earliest memory that you're willing to share that involves clothing. I remember being, um, I remember having really cute dresses when I was a toddler. Mm -hmm. I've got memories of, of, and my mum would have told this story to me of of the fact that um, she dressed me in like little girls dresses and they were really cute and really quite beautiful and but were not probably, you know, that was early 90s. They weren't like on trend type clothes. And I think she told the story of someone, you know, some old man probably in the supermarket or something saying like, oh, you never see little girls dressed as little girls anymore or something. She probably sounds, hasn't aged well, has a comment. Um, <laughs> but um, spoke to the fact that I guess they, they kind of really wanted to, yeah, I don't know, it was quite well presented. But I remember having this quite cute little, I think like navy dress with a little um, white lace collar. And I think there's a little picture of me kind of sitting like quite well behaved somewhere on a step you know yeah yeah. um looking all very cute and very blonde uh Mm -hmm. so yeah I remember that um I think it's quite striking that the first memory you went to is one about being recognized as hyper feminine when you had this real singing conversation between you and your mum on that point yeah yeah yeah, that's great and I think also it shows there's already that social implication or interaction yeah. around the clothes because someone was identifying you as yeah. something because of what you were wearing. And interestingly, I mean, around the house, because we had a real distinction between what you wear around the house and what you wear out, mm. and I would get my brother's hand-me-downs. Mm. But the other thing was that I was really fussy. Like, I didn't like wearing clothes that were really restrictive. Mum said I used to put my socks on ten times in the morning because I ha- had to have them just so. And if, you know, if a T-shirt was cut too high up into my armpits, I'd be like, no, I don't want to wear it, it's too uncomfortable. So I think there was this weird kind of, yeah, there was this like outwardly I'd wear more feminine stuff, but then in the house I just wore my brother's old clothes. Mm-hmm. It was very boyish and I'd like used to, you know, we had a big garden, I'd do like mud pies and I'd run around like talking to the foxes and I don't know. <laughs> so I had this quite like, you know, internal, um, you know, life and, and home and, and ways of playing and that there was a way that I dressed that that signalled I was in that space and then there was a way of dressing that signalled I was like out in the world and I had to like actually talk to people <laughs> yeah so it's, it, that is quite I had never really actually thought about that but there was a real uh, split between these kind of really sweet like dresses that were really lovely and then be running around in my brother's old mm. shorts so muddy as, as all hell glorious <laughs> yeah. as a it should be but yeah, so again, there's a distinction. Again, it's a social kind of code and mm. distinction between these different spaces or what's expected of you. But that one sounds almost the reverse of when you're talking about being a teenager, it was about aspiring or associating yeah, and yeah. recognising something. Whereas with this, it's a, there's an expectation there and that distinction, but it was more that the clothes on the inside let you have yeah. the freedom that yeah, you have exactly. rather than um, connecting you to yeah. the physical thing. That's great. I think that's a really illuminating (laughs) and very neat um, example of an early memory. So clothes, I think we've discussed this a lot, but essentially I think of clothes as memory sparkers or memory Mm. holders. Mm -hmm. Do you consciously keep any of your own clothes? Obviously this is a very particular example, Mm. but do you have anything from when you were younger or perhaps, you know, you spoke about the different styles of Melbourne and travels. Is there anything you've kept for the memory not? be in active use in your work really. yeah so there are um the, the main ones and I, I think about this a lot because um 
I had someone who kept telling me I have to marry Condo everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, but the the reason that made me think of that was because I have clothes from Melbourne, and I, I would see because I moved to Melbourne um, just after I'd graduated, so I was twenty two when I moved there, and I lived there for two years which doesn't sound like a long time but the amount I go on about Melbourne I feel really sorry for people sometimes I'm like Melbourne this Melbourne that Um, it was a really formative time and it was something it was somewhere that was very freeing and very kind of um you know even stuff like for example I didn't because if I'm talking specifically about sort of North Melbourne which everyone rolls their eyes at as a huge sort of hipster um you know, Mecca. Uh, but it was like one of the first places where I'd be like, you know what, if I've got stubble on my legs, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Like, no one cares. Like, yeah. everyone's like, it's all chill. And also, like, hate bras. So, like, just was the first time where I was like, fuck it, I'm not wearing bra anymore. Sorry. Right. <laughs> kind of being able to walk around with like hairy armpits and no bra. It was like, oh, great. And, but that. still being really cool. Like, yeah. actually, it was a very cool thing to do. Um, so, it was a very liberating place um because of that but yeah I have um it was also probably one of the first times where I was buying things I think it was one of the first times I bought some more expensive stuff so I remember because it was so hot all the time um the best thing to wear is to my mind was always like silk or cotton like 100% like nothing man-made or synthetics it just was so sweaty Mm. um so I remember investing in some actually silk (laughs) dresses for work so I bought three silk dresses from this one brand that I really really liked and I and I don't really wear them anymore because I don't love the prints anymore and there's one of them that's actually a little bit threadbare I've worn it so much Mm. but I keep them a, on a practical level, if I go back there, which I do sometimes go back, it's nice to have that option of wearing those. Um, but I just can't bring myself to throw them out um, or put them away. They still hang up, like they're not even in storage, but because they're so symbolic and they've mm. got such an emotional memory to me. Um, and the other thing that I kept that I was not forced, but I knew it was time to throw them out. And I literally had someone hold my hand whilst I put them in the bin. And, and he, he was like, say thank you. Say thank you to the Birkenstocks. They were those Birkenstock Arizona um, sandals. So the ones with the two straps and they were white. And I bought them in like 2014 when they were like super cool. And it was just before I moved to Melbourne. And I wore them. And they were just my sandals that I wore. Um, so I wore them all the time and I wear them on holiday. But my parents came out to Melbourne twice and so I, I'd had them and I'd worn them on holiday with my mum and it was last summer I think I was in LA and they were like fully threadbare and like they just weren't and they were like slipping off my feet because all the cork was gone and you know the white wasn't white anymore and, <laughs> and I was like I really need to throw these out because they're actually really grim and like they don't look nice and they're not serving me and I feel like shit when I put them on actually because I look like oh god get, some, get her a new pair of shoes um, but I remember s- crying and being like, I can't throw them out because I wore them on holiday with my mum, you know, and, and also because they were a piece of clothing that I'd had since, you know, graduating from uni and, and was that whole bridge of time between uni and then mum dying, which is like these kind of years of where I was just being able to grow up and be my own person without, you know, this huge yeah. burden of grief, basically, so... Um, I remember really, cr- like, really full body crying, like putting these Birkenstocks in the bin, and I was like, "That's so amazing!" Because they, you know, and the Birkenstocks they were just practical as well, but they just had such a strong 
And I was like, I can't keep them. They're horrible. Mm. Like, I can't keep them. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. They, they too have lived a great life. Yeah, exactly. They, they got so much wear in yeah. this time. <laughs> yeah. The memory can live beyond the item yeah, itself, exactly. I think. And you probably yeah. have photographs. To yeah, exactly. I can completely understand. And I think it's really worth um, noting garments or objects like that where they've been in extreme everyday yeah, work yeah. rather than just... I definitely find a lot of the time as a curator, the items that I get offered are christening gowns or wedding mm. dresses. They're very interesting, they're very special, they resonate about most, one of the most important days of your life, perhaps, but they don't tell you that much about no, a person and the yeah. way they lived or their day-to-day experience, whereas a pair of Birkenstocks yeah. seems to have happy. <laughs> yeah. um, they've seen you through a lot of days, so yeah. that's yeah, a really interesting, resonating um, example. And I'm glad that you had some support for making yes. decisions about <laughs> yeah, them. I hope remember them fondly. Yeah. So I'm interested in wearer's wardrobes or in collections of clothing that kind of commemorate a person or tell you about their life and biography through their style and the clothes mm-hmm. they wear. Um, as I noted then, a lot of the times when I get approached, someone will offer me their very best for something. Yeah. Um, I like it when it can really kind of Catch, encapsulate yeah. um, a person of a wider personality. I'm interested to know, we've spoken very much about this being a piece that kind of commemorates your mother but also connects her to you and your personal style and your kind of day-to-day experience of the garment. If I was to ask you for an item from your own wardrobe that you think mm. represents you <laughs> or you want to be remembered by or you can imagine someone having that connection to you, what would it be? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. Let me have a think. Mm. My think best friend would probably be really good to ask mm. about this because she's got there's like she we've been together in so many times where I've bought something um and when I wear it like she'll still be like I still love that coat or still like you know um but I'm trying to think of something I mean one thing that's coming to mind but it's new so it's not like that that entrenched in my wardrobe yet Mm, Um, maybe it shows an evolution well yeah so I think it might I think there's two things. One's not even a wardrobe thing. It's the fact that I finally got my hair bleached. Because <laughs> I, I remember, like, back back to 2008 again. It was clearly a defining year of my life. Um, and there was a... It's so niche, but it was an interview editorial with Kate Moss, and she has bleached blonde hair and a really deep um, winged eyeliner. And I remember saying to my mum, can I have my hair like this? And she was like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> no way. Um, and last year, I sort of finally was like, fuck it, I'm going to go do it. I've got enough money, I've got enough time, I'm going to go do it. And if it looks shit, I'll just dye it back. And then I was like, oh, I love it. And then in conjunction with that, I guess my style now Actually, to be fair, I think my style now is the way I wish I'd dressed when I was 16. I think if 16-year-old me could see me now with my blonde hair and I recently got, like, a leather shirt from Ganny and, like, I've got these, you know, my blunnies that I've had forever, which are, like, these Australian farm boots, I think I'd be like, wow, I'm so cool. (laughs) And I think that's basically... I think currently now some of the style and things that I've bought now are things that... I feel like most me in and they actually are probably quite like related back to that indie time and it was probably because I couldn't dress for myself then but I can dress for myself now yeah so I think some of those more newer <laughs> items are probably truer to actually who 
I am and probably have always wanted or tried to be. Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah. so it's a marker <laughs> of progress, but also you're picking yourself out as your own projection point from yeah. that earlier person you discussed or described of yourself to have been of trying to associate with different things for your yeah. clients. So um, I'm very pleased to hear that evolution <laughs> yeah. is taking place and that you've yeah, found something that grounds you and, and also that you finally got to bleach your hair. Yeah, and we've covered an amazing amount in that time and you've been yeah. incredibly generous with your personal stories you. and innovations. So thank you so much. Um, and I look forward to working with you in the future and to all the things the Grief Network and your work has to bring. So thank you. And thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.